We are going to read God's Word now. Remember the first couple of weeks of this year, we're looking at some of the Psalms because we want to begin the year with praise. Last week we did, was it Psalm 111 and 112? And uh, this morning our focus is going to be on Psalm 113. So would you open up your Bible there to page 874 if you're using the church Bible? page 874 going to read psalm 113 let's let's do a responsive reading Um, so that means i'll read verse 1 you read verse 2 and we continue from there so psalm 113 from verse 1 praise the lord praise the lord you his servants praise the name of the lord From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? Who He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. So what a great psalm that is. Um, I'm going to turn to a New Testament passage. So this is Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's on page 1672. So page 1672, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 5 down to 11. And I'll just, I'll just read all these verses. So Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading from verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and as we spend some time now reflecting on your word and thinking about who you are, I pray that you will remind us of why you are to be praised and why you are to be trusted. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been around different churches you've probably discovered that church can look quite different from place to place and country to country 
Maybe you've been part of a, a, a church where everything is very formal and, and scripted and, and the, the, all the sort of key things are happening like way off in the distance up the front. Or, or maybe on the other end of the scale, maybe you've been part of like a, like a cafe church where everything's quite casual and you sit around tables and it's a lot more chatty. Very, two very different experiences and, and there's a whole lot of things in between. Some, some differences in style are cultural. Like there's, It's right that in each place around the world we arrange our worship in a way that makes sense and communicates to the people of each place. But also how we gather and worship God is shaped by our theology that is our understanding of who God is. Today we are looking at Psalm 113 which begins with a call to worship. Praise the Lord, that's hallelujah. Verse 2, it's it calls for God to be praised for all time. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and what? Now and forevermore. And in verse 3, it calls for God to be praised in all places, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. As far as you can go that way, as far as you can go that way, let God be praised. So the psalm's saying, let God's praise ring out throughout time and space. And then the rest of this psalm tells us why. What kind of God do we have who should be praised for all time and in all places. And as we focus on the psalm this morning, I guess the summary statement is this. Nothing is too great for him and no one is too small. Um, I didn't make that up myself, actually, um, in my this book by a guy called Derek Kidner about the psalms. He uh, he, he had that little tagline and I thought, yeah, that is such a great summary of Psalm 113. Notice there's kind of two parts to the heading because this psalm teaches us and describes two things about God. It tells us how God is high and exalted as well as describing how God reaches down low. And so what I want to do is uh, I want to, first of all, I want us to explore what this psalm is teaching us about God. And then I want to show you how actually everything that this psalm says about God is embodied in Jesus Christ himself. And then we'll just think about how this teaching shapes and flavours our life today. So... Uh, Verses 4 through to 6, we see that nothing is too great for God. I mean, have have a look at uh, verse 4. The Lord is exalted. Exalted means high up over all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. And remember in our Bibles, when you've got that like Lord, capital letters, that's the, the personal name for the God of the Bible. Last week, we saw how... We were designed to reflect God's character. We've been made in his image. We, we can be like God in so many ways, but not in every way. 
only there, there are some things about our God that are different to and above anything in creation. That verse John put up, only God is eternal. Uh, only God uh, exists forever. Whether we're talking about, uh, what is it, the nations on earth or the angels in heaven, God exists beyond us. God is independent of heaven and earth. You could, you could just, you know, squish up and get rid of heaven and earth and God would still exist in all his fullness. And actually this description of God is different to how a lot of other religions think about God. I mean, it's been a bit more common these days. People talk about Mother Earth and when there's natural disasters, it's, this, is, this is Mother Earth showing her displeasure. God is kind of identified with the physical world. Or there's religions that have a, an idea of kind of a Brahman, a cosmic force which includes everything there is and is within us and we can find deep inside. Whereas here in this psalm, the God that we praise is beyond creation. Verse 6 says he's so far beyond us that he has to stoop down even to look at both heaven and earth. I mean, this is poetry. It's not as if God's short-sighted. It's a poetic way of trying to explain someone utterly beyond us. And let me give you, let me give you a theological word which sums up the idea of a God who is above all. Sometimes we talk about God's transcendence. It's probably not a word we use every day, but sometimes when, you, when you're reading Christian articles and things like that, it'll mention God's transcendence, and it's good to good to know what that means. Uh, transcendence is kind of a label that sums up everything we believe about God being high and lifted up. But here's here's the amazing thing in this psalm: God is so high that He has to stoop down if He's going to interact with the earth. But He does. He does stoop down. He doesn't stay distant and far off. See, that's what the second half of the psalm, verses 7, 8 and 9 teach us. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts up the needy from the ash heap. What is this ash heap? Basically, in our way of thinking, it's the rubbish tip. I mean, here in Australia, we put our rubbish in bins and the truck comes and collects them and it goes off somewhere recycling or landfill. But traditionally, in, in the Middle East, where the Bible was written, um, and I think, it's, I think it's probably the same in at least India as well, what would happen to rubbish? Rubbish, you take your rubbish outside the city and burn it. It's become a bit more problematic in modern times with plastic um, and all the problems that burning plastic brings. But traditionally, outside the city, you'd have this, this big fire going and a big pile of ash. And the poorest of the poor would li- live next to this ash heap. They would collect whatever scraps they could find. I remember when we lived in the Middle East, 
there was a, a camp of rubbish collectors. They were descendants of slaves. And some of the kids from the rubbish collector camp would come to our training school and they'd ask, oh, can we go through your bins? You know, maybe they'd find some aluminium cans that they could sell for scrap metal, maybe some bottles that they could use for different things. Um, and like one thing from a, you know, as a sort of middle class person, one of the things you really notice about the people who come from the camp is the smell like they, they, they smell of rubbish because they live in it. I remember once we had a conversation with some of these kids and we said, hey, do, do you guys go to school? And they said, no, no, we can't go to school. We don't have brains. And that's actually, that's what they'd been told all their life. You don't have a brain. You can't go to school. You, your place is in the rubbish tip. They were separated from the rest of society. They were seen as the lowest of the low. And yet, what does it say here? He, the Lord, lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. Can you see what an astonishing thing that is? Like, okay, remember, was it, was it last year, King Charles's coronation? And there were all like the fancy gowns and crowns and famous people awkwardly singing hymns. Can you imagine if halfway through that service, three or four stinky 10-year-old rubbish collectors wandered in and sat down next to Rishi Sunak? Like, realistically, they, they wouldn't get in the front door, would they? But this is saying... No one is too small or too smelly for God. God reaches down to bring people from the place of shame and seats them in a place of honour. Of verse 9, it talks about the childless woman. And I, I, should, I should say, okay, now... Now that we're living in the time of the gospel, now that we're on a mission to raise up spiritual children of God, there is, there is a new honour and purpose in singleness and childlessness. But in the Old Testament, before the gospel mission began, whenever you come across people who can't have children, it's always seen as a bad thing. It, it, it's always... It's always a shame. But here we read that God takes this childless woman and gives her a great honour and a great joy. There's a book called Honour and Shame written by a former missionary. And in the book he tells a story about his friend Muhammad. Muhammad was a Muslim, but his friend Muhammad had begun to read the Bible. He started at the start and, uh, and oh, well, let me read a bit from the book. He says, One night, Muhammad arrived at my house, obviously agitated. As we huddled together, he explained that he had a problem with a Bible passage. His reading of the Bible had progressed smoothly until he had arrived at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8, that it was Hannah's song of praise to God for giving her baby Samuel. And when Muhammad arrived at verse 8... He found something he couldn't cope with. Hannah said, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. 
He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. Muhammad threw the Bible down on the coffee table. No, he said emphatically. This cannot be true. A beggar is a beggar. A prince is a prince. This is nonsense. See, within Islam and a number of other religions, God is transcendent. He's so far up and beyond us that he cannot associate with anything in creation. But the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible is, yes, he's transcendent, but he also stoops down low to be with us, even in our shame, even in our guilt, even in our weakness. He's willing to have us in his presence so that we can know him and relate to him. And we can share our troubles with him because he's the God of all comfort who is able to deal with us softly and tenderly. And so if you want, if you want a word, if you want a label which sums up all those ideas, sometimes we talk about the imminence of God, how he's close to us. And so, so the psalm we're looking at this morning, Psalm 113, it praises a God who is both transcendent and imminent. He's up on high, but he's willing to come down low and meet with us. And I think most human religions tend to pick up on one or the other of those truths the God of the Bible is both at the same time. And I want you to see that the transcendence and imminence of God is embodied in Jesus Christ himself. Because that's, that's what our New Testament reading was about from Philippians. Remember, Jesus, in very nature God, he's the creator from beyond this world and yet he entered into it. He humbled himself. He came near to us. He took the nature of a servant. I mean, just think, God in human flesh reached out and touched a man with leprosy. He allowed himself to be arrested and shamefully crucified. And yet when his work was done, he was raised up to the highest place. He's the one to whom every knee will bow. He's the one who will be praised in every place and forevermore. And and as Paul says elsewhere, we are raised up with him. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. And so can you see in Psalm 113, like can you see how there's the outline of the gospel here? God who is exalted reaches down and raises us up. As Jesus completes his work for us, he's the the visible embodiment of the God that we read about here. He is transcendent and imminent. He is meek and majestic. Let me add in one more Bible fact so, you know, in Jesus' teaching, how Jesus actually, I mean, Jesus was the one who actually taught about hell the most. Also talked a lot about heaven. But 
Jesus talked a lot about hell. And did you know that the, the word that Jesus used in his teaching when he talked about hell, in, in the original language, it's the word Gehenna. It was actually the name of a valley outside Jerusalem where the rubbish was burnt. See, the, the rubbish heap is used as an illustration of what our sins deserve. Because our sins, our sins are sins against a God who is worthy of all praise at all time. And so, because of our sins, actually spiritually, we are all like those stinky rubbish collectors. But at the cross, what happens? Jesus comes outside the city into our ash heap. Because of the resurrection, he brings us into God's palace and says, here, here, sit down, sit in my presence. You are now God's children. You too are princes. God says, not only that, let me give you a shower. That's the, that's the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you new clothes. That's our new identity in Christ. Let me give you an education. That's us growing as disciples. Like, that's good news, isn't it? If you're willing to admit the stinkiness of your sin, it's wonderful news. And so let me finish with four implications of this for our lives. Four, four, four ways that it's, it's, it's helpful and important that we remember the transcendence and the imminence of God. First of all, how you relate to God. Like it's really important that you, for a healthy relationship with God, you hang on to both truths. If you, if you focus on the transcendence of God, but you neglect his imminence, God, God will always seem distant. And, and you'll you look to Jesus and you'll go, well, there's, there's my judge and I'm always not meeting his standards and I, I'm always feeling guilty and condemned and prayer will be a challenge because you'll be just thinking, really, who am I to pray? That's you this morning. You need to remember the other part of the story. God is with you. God was willing. He's that kind of God, willing to reach down into the ash heap. On the other hand, if you, if you focus on the imminence of God, but you neglect his transcendence, well, then you've got, you know, Jesus is your mate. You, you, feel, you, you feel comfortable but maybe you don't have so much urgency to do something about the sin that's in your life. And maybe, maybe, maybe as you pray, maybe, maybe your prayer is comfortable and it's, you, you ask Jesus to help you fulfill your dreams and your goals, but you're not so focused on his kingdom and his goals. If, if, if that's you this morning, you need to remember Jesus is saviour, and Lord. He's exalted to the highest place. He's worthy of all praise at all times and in all places.
Okay, here's a, here's a second way that this lands in our lives. It shapes how we gather together. I was talking to um, a pastor, a friend of mine, a, a while ago, and he made this comment that stuck with me. He said, it's actually really healthy for God's people to gather in circles and in rows. Well, what he means by that is, okay, what, what you're doing now, like you're gathered in rows. And there is actually a time to, to sit and hear the word of God and, and receive and recognise that he is far above us. And yet there's also those other times where we, we talk this through and we process life together and whether that's as you're, you're huddled around at morning tea or that's when you're gathering in your small groups or that's when you just catch up with other Christians in your home and you're talking about the things of God. That's what I mean by meeting in circles. That's where we listen to each other, where each person contributes, where we chat and we question and we comfort and we encourage. And God is actually right there working through each of you. Rows and circles. God is, um, I guess this flows into our third implication, which is how we serve God. See, at different times, God, God might place you in a position of leadership over others, whether we're talking about like ministers or elders or kids' church teachers or, um, or, or actually so many ways that you serve. I, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine a church leader who loves the transcendence of God but doesn't really appreciate his imminence. I mean, you can imagine this preacher issuing commands and declarations from up the front. But will he have a heart to get to know people and visit and listen? On the other hand, can you imagine a church leader who just, just wants to be everyone's friend but, but, but never challenges you, challenges you with the truth that you need to hear? See... Our view of God will bring a flavour to everything we do. I think about serving as a parent. A parent who loves the transcendence of God might say to their kids, hey, you need to learn to obey me now or there will be discipline. Or a parent who loves the imminence of God, wants to be the kid's friend and wants to just do whatever the kid wants to do and always make them happy. But don't, don't, don't kids actually need both like by giving your kids direction and boundaries as well as comfort and time together but by bringing both of these things you're you're actually bringing them a, a little taste of what their heavenly father is like fourth and finally how we praise god because this is a psalm about praise isn't it um, it's good for us to sing songs like, what a friend we have in Jesus. And it's good for us to sing, immortal, invisible, God only wise. And in fact, I think your heart will be most filled with awe when you're able to contemplate his transcendence and his imminence together. Because actually, true praise, gospel-shaped praise, marvels in the fact that God doesn't need us, but he chose to love us anyway. 
prays, marvels in the fact he's strong enough to create planets and he's kind enough to listen to our anxious prayers. He's someone to bow before reverently and to draw near to boldly. These are the things that when you bring them together and you think about God, that's when you go, wow, nothing is too great for him and no one is too small.